Hello and welcome to Dinger Ball. Today we have a special guest with us who has wrote a book. It is Kirk McKnight and he's going to be talking about why Dale Murphy deserves to be in the MLB Hall of Fame. So how's it going, Kirk? It's going good. Less than two hours till the results come out. I know. Big news coming out tonight, hopefully, you know, for his sake and for yours too. He hopefully gets in. That'd be pretty cool. And I'm also with Jacob Hennessy. How's it going, Jacob? You know, it's going well today, Logan. Uh, very excited to talk about baseball. Very excited to talk with Kirk about Dale Murphy and kind of get his thoughts and opinions as well. I mean, obviously, if you want to, you can always read the book as well he wrote uh, called Batting Clean. And uh, just very excited Absolutely. to be here Absolutely. I mean, it's a really good book. Um, I was able to read through it, and I think there's a lot of good things why Dale Murphy deserves to be in the Hall of Fame and a lot of different things we can talk about today on – what goes into the Hall of Fame criteria and what makes Dale Murphy a Hall of Famer? All right, so first and foremost, we kind of just want to get into what made you fall in love with Dale Murphy? Well, that's kind of a weird question. <laughs> uh, no, but as a kid, as a kid, I mean, you're right. You know what? I, as a 41-year-old, that takes on a different context. As a six-year-old, you couldn't be more correct because – he was my childhood hero, and that's my introduction to baseball. My baptism into baseball was via Del Murphy and the Atlanta Braves. And uh, the TBS Superstation was where I tuned in every day as a kid. And without Del Murphy and the Braves and without TBS, I would not be the baseball fan I am now 35 years later. So mm. that's where a lot of it comes through, uh, you know. I like. I think of Billy Crystal in, in um, City Slickers when they're talking about their greatest day ever, and I think of Billy Crystal talking about his dad taking him to Yankee Stadium. His, well, okay, this is it's Billy Crystal's character, whatever his name was in, in in City Slickers, but this is actually a true story of Billy Crystal's life. He went to Yankee Stadium with his dad as a kid, has the program still, and everything like that, and Mickey Mantle hits a home run. He says, you can't get better than that, and that home run mm. – just hook Billy Crystal onto Mickey Mantle for, for life. And so I, I kind of feel like Billy Crystal talking about that, uh, that moment, you know, when, when they're on their horseback riding through a Canyon talking about that, I kind of feel like that now, anytime I discuss this book, cause Del Murphy hit home runs too. He hit a lot of them. And, and uh, he was, as a six year old, you like to watch the players that hit the home runs. So that was, that was Murphy for me. You know, yeah, I definitely agree with that too. And kind of like another personal moment for me. Um, like whenever I was growing up, I really idolized Mark McGuire. So, I mean, I was growing up in the late 1990s and I was able to watch Mark McGuire and he was the reason why I fell in love with the Cardinals because, I mean, obviously, like you said, he had a lot of home runs and I thought that was kind of cool, you know, being four or five years old, watching a guy who just goes up there and he's huge. He has, you know, bigger than life personality, it seems like at that moment. And then now to see that he, you know, was using some performance enhancing drugs but i mean like still like i mean that's the reason why i fell in love with the cardinals in the first place and i can kind of relate to that you know i mean i defend him at times but i know i shouldn't <laughs> but yeah I'm, I'm the other way i i preferred the strikeouts and the pitching and kind of fell in love with carrie wood as a kid growing up and just you know kind of stuck with it and obviously with the cubs as well yeah absolutely and he didn't use any steroids <laughs> <unlike Logan. Yeah. laughs> Mine's a bad example, you know, but it's it's okay. It's whatever. It's a bad, <laughs> a bad influence, influence to me as a child. But I didn't know it then, so I mean, it's whatever. It's what made me fall in love with baseball. So I guess I have to ride that story forever. <laughs> yeah. All right. Go ahead. So, our our next question for you is when with this book you wrote, uh, is this more just about Dale Murphy or is it kind of like Dale Murphy and then anyone that could be like him in the future as well? Like uh, players that may not get in, deserve but to. Yeah. deserve That's to That's actually in. a very good question because I, I want people to know that the, the theme of the book isn't just necessarily arguing Dale Murphy's point uh, for the Hall of Fame. It's also, I mean, it's a, a great portion of the book is that, but, you know, interwoven throughout the book inside that theme 
is also the theme of the character clause and the fact that some of the players today who have 760 career home runs and 354 career wins are getting passed over on their regular time on the on the regular ballot year after year because of their failure to comply with this character clause their lack of integrity if you will and so mm -hmm. that's one of the points that i make throughout because I couldn't think of a, a cleaner player during the 80s than Del Murphy. I mean, I don't believe he ever got ejected once. He was never <laughs> he was never involved in in any kind of substance abuse uh, on or off the field. You know, when I say substance abuse, I don't just mean you know steroids and performance enhancing drugs. Anybody that watch baseball in the 80s knows that the players were involved with a little bit more than just performance enhancing substances that got them in a lot of trouble there was a lot of trials uh, about cocaine use and drug use and things like that things that would basically have players banned for life uh in today's game it was a big problem it was practically an epidemic in baseball in the 80s and and one shining star an example out of all that mess was del murphy so Aside from his on-the-field performance, you also have this beacon uh, of integrity, of clean playing, of just the way that you would want your kids to grow up as an athlete, really, and compete as an athlete. Yeah, just uh, being a good role model, I feel like. That's really what I've got from him because I really have never heard anything bad about him, and he was a really good player back in his day, too. You know, like he played with that integrity and he also is just really good at being a good sport. Most of the time, like you said, like he never got thrown out of a game. And I mean, nowadays, I don't know many players that haven't got thrown out of a game. Like even playing in college baseball, I've seen a lot of guys who have known just get thrown out of a game. It's kind of just normal, but it happens a lot. So I think that's pretty cool to see that. And it kind of leads into my next question of what do you think about like Hall of Famers? Do you think that there should be some credit? For what they do off the field more so than just like if they're a clean player or not like using drugs or steroids but there should be some like credit for how good of a human they are like so like a little extra off the field instead of what's on the field well yes i i do feel like there should be more credence and, and more credit like you say given to these players for off the field uh signing a person's baseball signing a kid's baseball is not going to keep you we're not going to put you in the Hall of Fame and refusing to sign a kid's baseball is not going to keep you out of the Hall of Fame. Having said that, there are players, former players, that in the years since they've retired, I'm using the example of Kurt Schilling right now. Kurt Schilling as a player is a Hall of Famer. And over the last few years, Kurt Schilling's politics have kind of gotten him in some hot water and and I think it has been a detriment to him on the, on the voting just because of that. And I don't agree necessarily with, uh, you know, if, if, you're, if you're not using integrity, that's a different thing. But, you know, if you send a few inflammatory tweets arguing with somebody over politics and all that, I definitely don't see that as some reason not to get into the Hall of Fame. Uh, there's, there's other arguments. Uh, Steve Garvey has a great resume uh, on his career it's just a few of his off the field things not even drug related or anything like that that seem to have put him in some kind of negative spotlight uh during the end of his career and post career and and things like that and maybe that's why he hasn't gotten the fair shake but i do see it come up about some of these players and i definitely think the lack of integrity should keep them out mainly because these players that are not getting into the Hall of Fame, that are being passed over with their monstrous numbers, they would have gotten into the Hall of Fame had they not messed or tampered with fate or destiny and just continued the course on their natural ability that they had. I, I think anybody can agree with me that Barry Bonds mm -hmm. would be in the Hall yeah. of Fame 10 years ago. <laughs> they would have said, no, we don't even need to wait. We don't even need to wait the five yeah. years. Just put them in. Had he not... Exactly. Uh, you know, gotten involved in these things. And I look at Barry Bonds as a Pittsburgh Pirate and the earlier years of him as a San Francisco Giant, and I thought, this guy is this guy's hands down a Hall of Famer. 
But mm -hmm. when you try to play with fire and you cheat, try to cheat destiny a little bit, this is what you get. And I totally stand by the voters who have voted no on Barry Bonds for that reason. Because honestly, a little greedy. Got to say, a little greedy to, uh, to do this, to swell your numbers this way. Because if you look at his numbers, uh, just just ridiculous and monstrous, but you take away any of the assistance that he's gotten, he still has very, very Hall of Fame-worthy numbers. Definitely. Exactly. Yeah, even, like, you... yeah, even like, you, like you said, like before the steroid used for Bonds, he was still in – he was still putting up 15, 25 home runs. And then the other part that's crazy is the stolen bases he had early in his career. Uh, you know, just like his dad. Uh, so – you know, that's, that's, that's what I had to I have to say. And there's, you know, and that's another argument. That's another argument in batting clean is that, or, you know, some of these social media outlets and even former players are kind of coming out and saying, all right, it's time we put Barry Bonds in. Why? Why do you say that it's time we put Barry Bonds in? Like taint is taint. If I drop some dye in a clear glass of water it's not going to be clear, even if it's a single drop. Okay. It's gonna, it's gonna, it's tainted. You know, it, I made the argument in batting clean. It'd be like saying, okay, well, well, when did he start using them? You know, when did you start using? Okay. That's like a cop pulling you over and saying, Hey, how fast were you going? You say, I don't know. Did you clock me at the bottom of the hill or did you clock me around the sharp bend? Cause I'd like to go with the sharp bend. Because I'm probably sure I was going a lot slower then than I was at the bottom of that steep hill, you know. And so that's how I feel that this has to be approached about players like Barry Bonds. Because uh, who's to say when he did or did not start? You're gonna say, okay, well let's cut his career in half, and then we'll just we'll give him in the Hall of Fame for that half of the career. No, I mean if if we were gonna cut careers in half almost every player out there could probably get into the hall of fame because not every player has a consistent career all throughout. Yeah, no, exactly. And something that I found of interest, like talking about Barry Bonds and the whole entire steroid epidemic is there's a list of like, I think five players who have had multiple MVPs who've never gotten to the hall of fame. I mean, Barry Bonds, A-Rod, Juan Gonzalez, Roger Maris, and Dale Murphy. So I just think like the last two guys really don't deserve to be on that list with some of the guys who ultimately like cheated part of the game. And I think it's like an interesting concept to say like, you can't say when did you do the steroids? It just has to be, you did steroids. You can't be like, Oh, I started doing it in the 91 season. So like everything after that doesn't count, but everything before it does. And you'll yeah. just taint the water and there's no clear line to say, when do we stop letting a guy in? Yeah. And like, like you were saying, Logan, like that that list, a couple of them don't match up. And then with the whole Barry Bonds thing, when people are like, "Oh, like it's time for him to get in," yeah, he has he had great numbers, but so does every other player on that list for the Hall of Fame ballot. Derek Jeter had great numbers too, but and he'll probably be a first ballot guy. And I, I don't think his home run numbers are as, obviously not as much as Bonds, but like he still had. A amazing career and he a guy like that will always get in over Barry Bonds and the guys that use steroids based on the and it is based on merit he did not cheat the game and he still put up fantastic numbers so you look at that and that's that's why that's that's the other reason why Barry Bonds has will not be a Hall of Famer more than likely even to, despite his great career because every year there's going to be players that are Maybe not as insane of numbers as he had, but really close still. But they don't have that little, like you said, that taint of, of using steroids and cheating the game of baseball. Sammy Sosa is going to be the same thing. He He's going to have that problem hanging around for his entire career as well. And then it's just kind of weird now when you flip it back to a guy like like Dale. And like you said, like the multiple MVPs never gotten a Hall of Fame list. Like it doesn't always add up why he's not in based on what he did. But at like, it's a lot of the reason why is because there are just too many really good baseball players out there that deserve hall of fame. Stats. Well, and 
I'm going to go out on a limb here. I saw the area code was a Springfield, Illinois, and uh, you did mention Sosa, but I, I'd honestly argue that Sosa, on his natural ability, because <laughs> I don't know if Sosa would have gotten into the Hall of Fame on his natural ability, because you, you just can't tell how how long was like Sosa on this stuff. I mean, somebody told me that today he he looks completely different than he did, you know, a few years ago, but. You know, A-Rod, Sosa, Bonds, Clemens, all those guys, uh, especially A-Rod, Bonds, and Clemens, you got to say, these guys, why even mess? You know, why even play with fire? Uh, you know, and they got rings. You know, uh, Bonds doesn't, but Clemens and A-Rod have rings. So, like, why even fight? You know, why even play with fire? I was, I was mentioning something the other day, and, you know, like, there are players like – Kirk Gibson, who probably won't get into the Hall of Fame, but Kirk Gibson also has uh, two rings, and he was a direct contributor to both of those rings, one with the 84 Tigers and one with the 88 Dodgers. Uh, I don't think it's breaking Kirk's heart that he's not in the Hall of Fame. I think he'd be just fine with those two rings and those two monumental home runs that were so impactful, especially the 84 Tigers. Everybody knows the 88 home run against the Dodgers, but that was in game one. The 84 Tigers Padres home run basically put San Diego away. San Diego was at a point where they could have been threatening in that series, and that home run just pushed all that away. That really switched the tide and really drove the nail home for the Tigers to win. Now, of course, the 88, you got Vin Scully being your soundtrack. So, I mean, what <laughs> what are you going up against with that? You, you got Vin Scully calling the shots and, and basically narrating this play and Hollywood of all places. And so it's, you know, one of the most theatrical home runs in Major League history. And he got another ring. So, oh, I'm not in Cooperstown. That's okay, uh, he says, as he leans against one hand decorated with two World Series rings, you know? <laughs> exactly like yeah and it kind of goes back to dale like dale doesn't have the rings to say you know i have these to be what i'm proud of because i mean he wasn't on the best teams all the time and i think he had one season where he was in the playoffs if i am correct and i mean a player of his stature he was really really good in his time and he had probably one of the best 10-year stretches out of any player i've ever seen like i mean i hadn't seen him personally but like out of what i saw of all the stats like i mean honestly he was so good in those 10 year span and he deserves to be rewarded somewhat for that. Cause I mean, it wasn't his fault that his team wasn't really nearly as good around him. And imagine how much better he could have been if his team was there too around him. And he had a guy behind him and a guy in front of him that was, you know, more of a threat. That's, that's, ex that's exactly one of the biggest points I make in the book. And many of the broadcasters I talked to for batting clean made that point. And looking up the stats, he came up to the plate 55% of the time. Nobody was on base. And this is a cleanup hitter. And then reaching reaching base, he only scored 29% of the time. So you're right. Before and after players, you know. Bonds uh, had the great opportunity of playing with people like Jeff Kent and people like Bobby Bonilla and, mm. and, and uh, J.T. Snow. You, you get some of those players – in your ring with you, you're getting some production because uh, they got a pitch to you. They really got a pitch to you. Jeff Kent looming, they're going to pitch to you. I don't care if you are Barry Bonds. Dale Murphy had Bob Horner. And not to take away from Bob Horner, he was a great player. But when it came to Murphy's up, who's up after, well, let's just walk this guy. I mean, he was intentionally walked so many times in his career. He led the majors in intentional walks, at least the National League, at least once. Uh, he had tons of walks in his career. He had almost a thousand walks in his career. I think that's pretty impressive. It was a long career, but almost a thousand walks it, to me rings of we're not going to pitch to this guy because uh, it's not like he, you know, was uh, the best eye over the plate for pitches. I mean, he struck out plenty of times too. That's to his detriment. But the fact that they walked him almost that many times or almost a thousand times should say something about the fact that the rest of the team wasn't a threat. Let's just put Murphy on the base passes, base paths. He can steal bases, but he's not Tim Raines. He's not Ricky Henderson. So, 
he's not going to steal three on us. So let's just go with whoever's behind him and, and take our chances with them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I don't. I don't think it gets talked enough about enough. Is you kind of have to when you do have like a top level guy, you have to have a, someone behind him that can almost be his protection. Like you see it, Mike Trout doesn't get intentionally walked as much because he has pool. He had pools behind him, and it's. I mean, it's probably going to end up being show high for the rest of the time now that Pujols is kind of fading out of his career almost, and then you you really do need that second guy and that doesn't get talked about enough, especially with Hall of Fame uh, conversations, is the fact that he had nobody else to protect him. So they, and, and even regardless of the intentional walks, he, he also didn't see a lot of meaty pitches because they, they'd rather pitch around him and try to see if they can get him chasing outside of the zone or try to paint the corners. That way he he's not getting pitches that you typically get when you hit a lot of home I runs. Know. Having a supporting cast is pretty important on a team. I could say like that really big time, especially over my career playing baseball. I've seen that happen a lot where if you have a team with a really good player, I've been prone to avoid them, like especially being a pitcher and especially being times when being a hitter, I was one of the better players on the team. And you notice like if you have guys around you, it makes it incredibly easier for you to be a great player. It's like um, even in the NBA, how you have some guys like with Jordan, like that made him so much of a better player that you really can't quantify it. You can't say he is this much better because of it. And it's kind of tough too, especially for a guy like Dale Murphy. He didn't have anybody around him. Imagine if he had somebody around him who would have been able to at least have a power threat right behind him to say like he could hit 40 home runs in a year. He may not have the traditional batting average. He may have like 260 or whatever the guy behind him but that would add a little bit more fear and then guys would have to pitch a little careful more carefully to dale and that might lead to you know of course 100 more hits over a career it might lead to less strikeouts more walks and i don't know because you see guys pitch a little bit carefully what do you think about the whole entire aspect of having guys around dale and do you see that even today like some guys could be better players if they had people around them yeah i mean I was just talking to you guys uh, off the record, talking to you guys about Whit Merrifield. And now Whit Merrifield has uh, some players behind him like uh, that are really putting up numbers. To me, it's a, it's a wonder that the Royals weren't as good as they were. The record wasn't as good. But, of course, it comes down to pitching as well. Because when you have some of the players that they had have the career or the years that they did this last year, uh, it really adds up, and the offense really adds up. And and so, you know, Witt's, Witt's production from 2017 or 2018 to 2019, uh, you know, he, he, he got more hits uh, because, yeah, like he's got other threats around him, so they kind of got to pitch to him. And, and Murphy, you didn't necessarily have to pitch to Murphy a lot of the times for when you're facing the Atlanta Braves. I mean, you guys mentioned the, the playoffs. He only played in three playoff games in his 18-year career. Uh, that's that's not that's nothing. <laughs> yeah, literally, that's just, that's like such a shame for a guy who is so talented like him because we'll never know what he could have been in the postseason. He could have been a hero that we could never have heard about, and I think that's almost a shame it really is because certain players like even Mike Trout in today he doesn't have many opportunities to get to the postseason and it's really a shame because what could he do when the pressure cooker's on in a big game everybody's watching what could he do yep and once again Logan breaks out Mike Trout <laughs> that's my favorite but... thing every time so. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean you're you're right and he's, he's got a lot of those problems I mean we, we talked about him a little bit earlier kind of with the uh, he does have pools behind him, but you got to find it's not necessarily always enough to support, like enough of a supporting cast to be able to help him. <laughs> and hopefully he gets help this off season for, for the people he signs. But I mean, I hopefully mean, it's, it's hard to be competitive and want stay in games when you don't get an opportunity where the other teams are going to take the bat out of your hands. And that, that happened to, that happened to bonds a lot later in his career that he actually got intentionally walked. It was one of like the higher intentional walk rates 
happened to Dale, happened to it's it's it happens to Mike Trout, and it's just kind of hard to be a top level talent when you don't have a sporting cast like Houston. If Alex Bregman was on a different team, he probably would he'd still be a great baseball player. There's no doubt that, but uh, he if he was on a team, if he was in a situation like Mike Trout, he would get pitched around a lot, and he wouldn't have the same numbers that he has right now. And that's kind of something that definitely doesn't get talked about enough. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, and think about Mike Trout now. How much has the dynamic changed about Mike Trout? You get Mookie Betts over there, because that's the talk right now is Mookie Betts going to play there. You have two Mike Trout cal- uh, caliber players now in your lineup. That changes a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm not trying sure. to take away from Pujols or anything like that. I know Pujols has more than shared his career full of – it's a Hall of Fame career, but this is the tail end of a Hall of Fame career. So it's not like he's putting up Betts, Mookie Betts numbers. And mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be a different show this year. When did this discussion yeah. start to turn to Mike Trout? This isn't bad and clean why Mike Trout belongs. I'm just joking, guys. I'm just. <laughs> yeah, come on, Logan. <laughs> Sorry, he's just my favorite player right now. <laughs> I am very excited for Mookie Betts to go to uh, if he goes to the Angels, because then I can actually drive and see him. I wouldn't drive five minutes to watch the Red Sox, but I'll drive a few hours to watch Mookie Betts. <laughs> I agree with that. That's fair enough. I, I definitely respect that. <laughs> I do too. I guess we can get back here a little bit to Dale and um, we can talk a little bit about, was there any other players you thought about writing a book on besides Dale? I think that uh, once Fred McGriff is on the uh, today's game ballot, which will probably be in two years, I think, I think his final year on the regular ballot was last year. He never made it through. Didn't get on the, didn't get on the hall of fame list there. Didn't get inducted. I think Fred McGriff presents a very strong case, too. Uh, I think his career is definitely deserving of a Hall of Fame. The, the difference between Fred McGriff and Del Murphy, though, is is the theme, the social kind of theme that I have behind the book and set in, in these present themes today of, <clears throat> of the character clause and, and players getting passed on. So that's why I chose the angle of Del Murphy. Also, the fact that he's my favorite player of all time, but you you include that element, and you can kind of have a more substantiated script, I guess, if you will, to work with by talking about the social themes as well. Presenting an argument for somebody like Fred McGriff is just a matter of presenting uh, a, a platter and saying, okay, what is wrong with this? Like, what what did you not like? It's like a waiter coming back to the table after just putting on the greatest meal of the night and them asking to send it back. And he comes back to the table like, okay, really what, you know? And that's how I kind of feel about Fred McGriff is that, you know, I can see some of these other players getting passed on. I can even see Andrew Jones getting passed on considering, you know, his, his chart, but Fred McGriff, when it comes to the things that people are sliding Murphy about Fred McGriff is like head and shoulders above, you know? And so where is your argument? That's really what I want to know with some of these voters. Where's your argument? That he only hit 398 and didn't hit 400? That he batted 265 for his career? Like, is that your argument? Is just looking at two numbers like that and saying, well, sorry, Chuck. You know, I don't feel that's, I don't feel that's, you know, I don't want to even dignify that sometimes when I get to talking to people about it. Because if that's all you're using and basing your decision on is, are those two categories? There's Mm -hmm. two sides to the baseball field. There's the fielding, there's the hitting. There's also the base running, if you want to say there's three sides. And, and, And Murphy really checks off all boxes across the way. You know, if you want to slide him for the 265 career batting average, fine. But look how many years he batted 300 or 290 or at least 280. And for a power hitter, a slugger like that, to bat over 280 that many years, that's got to say something. Yes, he had a few years where he had abysmal batting averages. His the, the tail end of his career to, to be a perfect example, but <laughs> you're basing it on an 18-year career. Let's let's start talking about how Miguel Cabrera's been summing up the last two or three years. 
Are you going to tell me that Miguel Cabrera is not getting to the Hall of Fame? Because I'd laugh right in your face, you know. But Miguel Cabrera, the last two or three years, has he been a relevant factor? Has he been in the spotlight like this? No. He's just played too damn long of a career for us to, like, uh, it's it's just like Murphy, you know, too long of a career that you're you're starting to look at these, like, two pieces of bread, you know, the butts of the bread of the loaf, Nobody wants them, you know? And that's kind of the worst part of some of these players' careers when they play as long as 18 years. You got the first two or three seasons where they're breaking themselves in, you know, unless you're like Mike Trout. There we go back to Mike Trout. Unless you're Mike Trout (laughs) or something like that, or Miguel Cabrera, for example. But, you know, you got the meat of your career in those, you know, you take the first two out, you take the last two out, two or three out on each side. That's what we should be focusing on is the meat of the career, the prime years, the not the twilight. Uh, if you if you focus too much on Murphy's twilight in his career, of course you're going to say, well, he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame because all you can think of is they spent the entire season of 92 on the bench. My, my, my Philadelphia Phillies baseball card of Murphy is him on the dugout with his arms, with his elbows on his knees. I mean, what the crap? <laughs> so... <laughs> so I hate that baseball card. I absolutely hate it. But but that baseball card resembles and signifies and symbolizes um, Murphy those last two years. And that's what everybody seems to be focusing on. And I feel like it's a travesty to think of that because you're not thinking of the two MVPs, back-to-back MVPs, mind you, the five straight gold gloves, four straight silver sluggers, the seven all-star appearances all those things they just are out the war out the out the door i guess yeah and i just feel like it's kind of unfair to him because he had such a good meat to his career like you said like some of the like the later end of his career wasn't really as good but you know that just happens as a player gets older sometimes and who knows you know maybe he sticks on for another year or two and he might find somewhere to play but like really he wouldn't maybe and you have a lot of guys who are similar to him in the Hall of Fame where I don't think it would be really wrong to put him in because you have other guys such as, like, you know, Lou Brock has the same career war, actually a little less than him. And, you know, he was known more so for being a speedster, and he only had, like, 141 home, 149 home runs in his career. You know, obviously he stole more bases. And I think that's just something that is really unfair to him because you look at what he did in his career – he didn't hit those 400 home runs. I mean, would two home runs help him? I really hope that's not the case. I hope that him not having 2,500 hits, not the case. I just don't know what the hang-up really is on him. I mean, like, because he seems like he is worthy of being in the Hall of Fame, and I wouldn't bat an eye about it. Uh, one of the things I like to point out, and I pointed this out in, in batting clean, is there was the 81 strike he played through. Okay, that's 56 games he didn't play uh, as an Atlanta Brave in 1981. If if at that time the way he hit the ball, if people are going to argue that he wouldn't have picked up those two home runs and then some in 55 games, I don't even want to have a conversation with that person to be honest, because that's just ludicrous. It's asinine. I even argue in the book that if he were to get on a streak and a hot spell during those 54, 55 games in the 81 season, he might've gotten those 34 RBIs that would have put him over 1300 for his career. So if we're looking at round numbers, which apparently 400 is a very round number that seems to be the hang up on a lot of people's minds, we need to just throw that theory right out the door because uh, <laughs> 400 home runs is easily achievable with 55 more career games, especially during the peak of your career. Uh, you know, right when he was starting to get good, that 81 season preceded his, the first of his two MVP seasons. So the 37 home runs is around the, the home run total he got every year during that time. Uh, so with 37 home runs on 162 game slate, you can do the math and probably come up with about, you know, 10 or 12 more home runs to go on top of that 398 and you got 410 home runs. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with that theory. Um, I mean, the, you can't argue that in 55 games, a hitter of his caliber 
even if he was getting intentionally walked once a game. So you, you take away one, one maybe two at-bats a game from him, he, he's still going to hit at least a couple of home runs. At, yeah. at the minimum, three, four, five in 55 games if he has if he goes on a cold streak that is and he just it just has the worst 55 games in his career he's still going to get a couple home runs the way he he was as a player i so. mean yeah and just imagine he goes on a tear like easily could have had you know 30 home runs that season and then that would change every single thing that happened maybe you know he would be in the hall of fame just because of those home runs but i really hope that the voters aren't that shallow about round numbers and about just trying to judge a player based off that because he was way more than just numbers. He was a really, really good player in those back-to-back MVP seasons. He deserves to be in, and also his durability, too. Like, I mean, <laughs> what more could you really say about that guy? Yeah, the durability is a real a real factor for me because uh, he had about 10 out of 11 seasons um, outside of the, outside of the, the strike-shortened 81 season I think he had about nine or ten seasons in the in those eleven, where he played in 154 or more games, uh, and uh, you don't see that kind of longevity nowadays because of managers protecting their players, uh, protecting. Yes, I will say his name again. Protecting players like Mike Trout. Uh, <laughs> you know, for one example, you know, some player like Mike Trout when they do that uh, East Coast swing and play uh, in Tampa and Toronto, they'll take him out of the game maybe at least once, at least once in the series, but probably twice in the series. They won't even put him up in the lineup, and that's a few games right there uh, between Tampa and Toronto. And if they're playing two series that particular year in Tampa and Toronto, you're talking about six games taken out of your, uh, out of your season just between two teams. You can imagine how many other games that the the manager would rest a player like Mike Trout just for durability and honestly for the sake of why keep him in the lineup if you're if you're either way out of it numbers wise or have run away with the division. So you don't see those 154 game seasons on such a continual basis on some of the premier players because of the protection of the player, the protection of the asset. I mean. Absolutely, because nowadays, like the managers really want to make sure that their stars are going to be there in the postseason, whenever it matters, or for the next season. Because really, that's what it's all about. They're trying to make sure that their player will be good. And I think back in the day, like in seventies, eighties, and even the nineties, you saw guys. They really didn't care as much. They were going out there and they were going to play every day. It was their job. And even like that mindset has changed between baseball now and then. And I think that's another reason he deserves to be in there, just because of his grit to go out there every single day, do a job, and he did it pretty well, too. Yep, agreed on that. He was a top-level talent, and he it was kind of like I brought up, and I'll bring up another guy's name that's not named Dale Murphy, but it's kind of like uh, Cal Ripken. He just, he, he'll he end up getting in the Hall of Fame just based on the fact that he was a, he was a grinder, and you're going to, you can make that argument for him but, I mean, there were four straight years, I believe it was, uh, that he played 162 games. And that's that's kind of like the same thing, is why was that such a factor for Gal? Like, because he is known for being that Iron Man. And now, but you're not going to say the same thing about Dale Murphy. And he did, a, he did not as many games, but still a pretty significant chunk. And then the year after that, he actually played 160, which two games in a season off is still incredible. I mean, he wasn't the iron, he wasn't the iron man. Uh, Obviously he wasn't the iron man, but if, if we were to take into account also Del Murphy's physical frame, which I don't think enough people talk about is Del Murphy's physical frame because he was six foot five to two ten, two fifteen. That kind of frame doesn't, translate to 162 games a year i'm just saying it just doesn't uh it it wears and tears and that's exactly what happened is it wore and tore uh down there at the end of his career and like i said too many people are just too focused on those last two years and two and a half years in philadelphia and that 
little 25 game appearance in Colorado and in, in the expansion Rockies. Yeah. It's just, it's kind of a shame to see a guy who has so much talent get crippled by like the injury bug like that. And I mean, myself being like a bigger guy, cause I'm six, five, two. I mean, you can tell that usually most of the time too, cause like you're a bigger guy, you're going to be weighing more. And some of the little guys, like, I mean, like a Jose Altuve, he's more, you know, fleet on his foot. He's able to go ahead and not be probably as injury prone just because he's not as big. He doesn't have to worry about that. That's not his game. But a guy like Dale Murphy, like, he was in shape guy. He was pretty large, and he played the game very aggressively. So those kind of three come together, and after a while, it takes a, t- a toll on you. I mean, it's just like the football players we see nowadays, like the running backs. There's some big guys, and after a while, a while it kind of wears down on them. It's kind of unfair to judge him for that. Yeah, I definitely think so. And and that's the whole point. He batted clean and didn't use any kind of substances to help keep himself in the game. Uh, I learned something yesterday on Twitter. His his wife posted something uh, that he actually shared. And this doesn't this isn't really like Murphy to share this, but. The fact that his wife posted it, happy wife, happy life, I don't know. But he, uh, she posted that he had MRSA uh, and an infection in his knees at that time. And I think I, just the fact that he didn't lose his leg, at least one of his legs, uh, to, to her was kind of a miracle. Like they, he was in danger of losing his leg. And he's still playing through this. He's playing through this MRSA. He's playing through these knees that were shot uh for love of the game to be cliche for the love of the game you know and uh and and of course that's going to affect you you're not giving it your all and and i'd like to just point out that lee thomas the general manager of the phillies uh he really did not want to let go of murphy until he knew murphy was set up that's how much he admired murphy as a person uh as a player as a as a player of his former self, if you will, but that's how he felt. And the fact that he was basically going to be set up in Colorado made the decision a little easier for Lee Thomas to basically uh, let Murphy go. And he, and he accepted the pay cut and he, and accepted all that. And he got drafted by the Rockies, you know, just played 20, you know, a quarter of a season or a fifth of a season, more or less, uh, and called it quits. So, there's that. <laughs> yeah. No, that that's that's a very interesting point. I actually did not heard that before. Uh, I mean, talking to you about it, and he he was a very special, talented baseball player, and obviously very well loved by everyone around the game. I mean, like the face of Southern baseball, pretty much. Look at that. Yeah. Like. I mean, like, that was a time that TBS was really big. So whenever that was happening, he was pretty much the whole entire face of baseball for a lot of people. And that's something that really shouldn't go, you know, not thought about. And really, it should be part of the reason he gets into the MLB Hall of Fame. And we'll be figuring out here shortly if he does or not, you know, and hopefully he does. Um, But before we do that, um, Kirk, is there anything else you'd rather add on Dale Murphy before we go to the next segment? Uh, no, I, I, I think that says it all. And yeah, we're within 45 minutes of the decision. So by the time you guys actually air this, it might be over. But, you know, it's still just thinking about it right now. Like we can, uh, you know, record it as in this anticipation, which which is coming up. Yep, definitely agree. Yeah, so we can go ahead and go on to this next little segment here. And this is just kind of like a fun segment we're doing with all of our guests right now. And it's just your hot takes for the next year. Um, we're just going to say um, there's four of them, and we just want you to give an answer to any of them, whatever you think. And the first one of those is, who do you think the way too early 2020 World Series champion will be? Well, it's not way too early, but I think if the Yankees get cold and they're the champion in 2020, that's I think they set themselves up to get that point. But if they get Garrett Cole and Garrett Cole does what he did last year, I don't think anybody's stopping that team. Especially if if the Red Sox lose bets uh, to another team, you kind of you kind of if you put that factor in the Red Sox or I, I have no idea what happened to the Red Sox last year. I'm 
uh, as a Yankee fan at heart, I'm I'm grateful for the fact that they had the same exact team that they did in 2018, and had no idea what happened in 2018. Must you know, like you have the same exact team, and and you put a completely different product out there in, in the in the wins and everything. So not complaining, but yeah, I, I think uh, the way too early. I put the Yankees on that one for sure, especially with Cole. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that, okay. yeah, that division. Definitely. I mean, they're just going to run over that division. They're going to run over everybody if they get Garrett Cole. Just look at look at that that rotation in general. Well, look at the bats. That's not fair. You get, you get an actual decent, solid pitcher to, to complete that rotation. With the way they hit, I don't see anybody even coming close. Even the Houston Astros, to be quite honest. Yeah. yeah because you'd have to think the Houston Astros would be down Cole now. They'd have Verlander, who's getting old. And Verlander... I mean, he still he still had 300 strikeouts. So I mean, it, it, he's an ageless person. But taking Cole out of that rotation takes 20 wins out. So that's hard to replace. Yeah. yeah. Yep. 20 so wins then, and 316 uh, strikeouts, I believe it was. Insane. Yeah, I think you're right. 0.5 ERA or something. Just just absolutely uh madden numbers in football what are what's 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 baseball it's just mlb the show yes <laughs> yeah. in football you yeah. sit there and say he puts up madden numbers but like in baseball it's you gotta say he puts up the show numbers i don't know the, the comparison it's not it's not a direct comparison yeah uh, he, he puts up video game numbers for he definitely did last year and I don't know. I, he's been getting stronger as he's getting older, which is kind of a scary thought for the next four or five years now of, of Garrett Cole. I'll just I'll just add this that the uh, the only thing is the American League East is very hitter friendly in at least three of the ballparks uh, as it compared to the American League West. Uh, American League West had two ballparks that were very hitter friendly in Texas and Houston, but Angel Stadium. Uh, Safeco up in Seattle, not so hitter friendly, and the Coliseum, not so hitter friendly at all. So, you are in a hitter friendly ballpark in Yankee Stadium, 81 games of the year, but Minute Maid Park is ever so as friendly to the hitters as Yankee Stadium is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then we can go ahead and go into our next question here, is, and it's a twofold kind of question, and we're going to say, Who do you think the NL? MVP will be, and who do you think the AL MVP will be? Uh, NL MVP, I, I really think that Christian Yelich, uh, he honestly would have been the NLV, NL MVP this last year, but I'll have to give it to him, just because uh, I kind of, I kind of feel like I have to, just kind of as a makeup for him missing out the, you know, the last two and a half weeks of the season which hurt my fantasy team, by the way. And, uh, and, and for the AL, I mean, you can't really go against Trout. Uh, if Trout has bets on that lineup with him, I definitely think Trout is, is in this discussion. Um, and if Trout plays a full season, it's, it's a no-brainer. It's always a no-brainer for me. It's the, the guy's the greatest baseball player on the planet, and he may retire as the greatest baseball player ever. And he certainly is the most talked about player on this podcast. Oh yeah, definitely. We talk about him more than anybody else, but like when you, when you think modern baseball, you think like trout <laughs> and it just, it's hard not to be impressed and amazed at the stuff that he does. And he, he's going to be an MVP caliber. He's going to be in the conversation every year for his entire career. Yeah. He's such a good guy, too, honestly. I think that's the one thing about it. Like, he is a perfect role model to be the face of MLB baseball for, I mean, the next of hopefully 10 years. I mean, his Jaws and War uh, stats are already all-time in the top five all-time. And, and, and he's, in those, he's in those categories with people like Willie Mays and Ty Cobb. So, <laughs> so the fact that he's even in that discussion with those guys all time should speak volumes. Yeah. And then somebody no. should get this man a World Series ring. I, I, eventually he will. I hope he so. needs help. <laughs> yeah, he does need help. He needs a better general manager. 
<laughs> well, the apparently they're allegedly their uh, I think it was their ownership, or maybe it might have been the general manager said that they are willing to spend unreal amounts of money this offseason to help them out, basically. They should. They should have been doing that a long time ago. Yeah. You wasted 10 years. <laughs> well, the fact that they spent an unreal amount of money on a pitcher like uh, Harvey, Matt Harvey, to me is just like, what is going on? Like, maybe, <laughs> I, maybe I should throw on a uniform and walk into their office and see how much they'll pay me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't have the best track record. I mean, they did try to get Pujols, and then they got Pujols, and he wasn't really the same Pujols as in St. Louis. No, they they, they paid him like St. Louis – Pujols and they're not getting St. Louis Pujols. Right. Yeah. And it's not his fault. He's just old. Yeah. He's getting older. Yeah. You're basically sending a guy telling him you're going to be paying him $30 million or however many million dollars at the age of 40. I mean, in my mind, I, uh, you would think you have a little bit more foresight to think, uh, picture somebody as a 40 year old. Are you going to really pay them that $30 million? Is you really, you really want to make that decision right now? Yeah, no. You don't want to make that decision. That's not a good call most of the time. Because injuries or they just turn into a player like Chris Davis and then you get in the whole entire situation there where it's not good. Well, he, it reminds me of uh, the movie Mr. 3000 um, mm-hmm. because the owner uh, or or if it was the president of operations, the guy that plays Big, Mr. Big or whatever on um, <laughs> Sex in the City, He's the one from Law and Order. I can't think of the actor's name right now, uh, but he plays like the president of the Milwaukee Brewers in, in Mr. 3000. And you could tell that the only reason that he was bringing back Bernie Mac to get those three hits was so he can put some meat in the seats. You know, a team that's in proverbially for per, uh, <laughs> numerically. There we go. We're, we're, we're getting this in post-production. Here we go. Starting again. Three, two, one. No. <laughs> <laughs> numerically uh in the cellar and so they're just trying to get some meat in the seats and 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 you got somebody like pools that you know hinging on 500 home runs 3,000 hits things like that uh and you're you're as a general manager as a president of operations as an owner you're sitting there thinking oh man uh the uh the bobbleheads that we'll create and everything like that so (laughs) Yeah, that's that's definitely what probably that's more than likely what their thought process was, but it that it doesn't win games. And that's the Greg biggest problem. Was it didn't doesn't didn't help them win enough games to make a difference for that much money. If you're paying someone that much money, you you're paying them to win baseball games. Exactly. And to be a big factor and he just wasn't the big factor. And speaking of signing, uh, let's go ahead and jump to the next question, which is what do you think will be the biggest shock of the offseason with a trade or a signing? <laughs> I think Anthony Rendon. I'm looking at Anthony. I'm on MLB right now. I think Anthony Rendon uh, <laughs> signs with somebody. I think he pulls like a, what like I see like a Machado kind of uh, situation uh, with Rendon. <laughs> so I see Rendon like uh, you know where everybody's talking or maybe with Strasburg you know like some of these other players that are on everybody's minds but uh, I can see like Rendon signing with somebody who's not a contender but getting a really good contract and everybody's saying well well at least he got the ring <laughs> <laughs> exactly I mean I can definitely see him being a big guy in this offseason because whoever signs him you know Hopefully it'll be better, but I don't know if he'll be signing for somebody that will ultimately need him. I think like maybe he might go down to Texas. I've heard rumors of that because I believe he is from Texas. Not 100%. Yeah, he went to Rice. Yeah, and I know the Rangers have supposedly been in the mix for him. I know the Nationals are interested, of course, just because he's been there and that's this team the whole entire career. But I think that he may make you know just a move for himself. Like you said, not really care much about everything else. You should be like, you know what? I'm going to go play baseball. I have a ring. I'm good. I mean, I could see that happen. I could see Madison Baumgartner being somewhere else. That might be a blockbuster. Uh, kind of signing with a contender. That could be something else, too. I'm seeing I'm seeing these 
big names that are on the you know the top four names, top five names. I I honestly don't care where Josh Donaldson ends up. I think Donaldson contributes wherever, but when when Josh Donaldson signs like one year contracts, like to me, I'm like okay, whatever. He's he's a team is red boxing Josh Donaldson, and it, let's. Just, I I think I just created a term, guys. They're red boxing a player. They're renting him for a night or a, or a season, and they're just seeing how he pans out, and they can decide <laughs> to buy him at the end or what. I don't know. I, I feel like that's what the Braves did last year, and so who knows? They're going to red box kidding? Josh Donaldson or red box Madison Baumgartner, see if it's another Adam Sandler flick or something. I don't know what. I would honestly read a book called Red Boxing Base- Baseball Players or something like that, and you should go all about it, make a movie off of it. It'd be great. <laughs> red boxing the off season red boxing red boxing. that's a new one i've never heard that before and i like it i like it a lot yeah <laughs> i like it <laughs> might start using that more often <laughs> definitely gonna have to use that more often just in everyday life <laughs> yeah no longer gonna use it's not it's no longer a movie term it's just a life term now just yeah i'm, I'm gonna red box some uh I'm gonna red box some pizza. We'll see if I keep coming back here or not. <laughs> Absolutely. And then we have one more question for you. Who do you think the most underrated player is going into 2020? That's a that's a tough one. Because I mean, underrated is one thing. Under the radar is another. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the some of the better players out there uh god who would i say is an underrated player um i mean i think about uh, we're talking off off the record but like adalberto mondesi is somebody who is not on people's radar so much because he plays on on the royals same thing as whit merrifield Mm -hmm. but um i could i could put either one of those two in that category because they just play on such a bad team they they both contribute can they're both capable of contributing so much but Mondesi uh, if he hadn't gotten hurt like he would be up there in the top ten players in baseball last year and mm-hmm. the way he can steal bases and produce and, and bat and everything like that and knock in runs I mean he just was one of those players that uh, if I say the name Mondesi somebody's like oh is that Raul Mondesi Jr or no 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 Adalberto Mondesi totally different mm-hmm. player better than that guy you know so i i'd say i'd say somebody like that you have to you kind of have to go to some of these smaller market teams and think of some of these players and and those are two that i come up with because you know i do pay attention a lot to the royals just because whit merrifield's my favorite player and so i see that i see the talent around him and i see that uh unless you're like a fantasy baseball owner uh you're really not talking about some of these players or unless you're actually in Kansas city cheering these guys on, you're not talking about these two players, but, uh, Mondesi definitely, uh, Whit Merrifield's starting to get a little bit more spotlight. Obviously the Cubs are interested in him, but, uh, Adalberto Mondesi, I'm probably not even saying his name, right? That's how under the radar he is. I'm not pronouncing his name, right? I would put him <laughs> as that under the rated player that, uh, definitely should get a little bit more spotlight than he has. Yeah. But who knows? That might be to his detriment too, though. People start paying attention to him. Uh, you know, he might pull like a, a Chipotle and start charging more for guacamole, kind of thing, or or like <laughs> or rationing or rationing your samples. Like, you know, Chipotle was America's best kept secret. Then everybody started talking about it. Then all of a sudden, you go to Chipotle, you can't get your guacamole uh, as much as you wanted, and and things are a lot more expensive and in a lot smaller proportions. So maybe being under the radar is what's keeping him so good. Uh, some other team picks him up, maybe he takes a crap. I mean, maybe. And That's then, a very fair point. And if he's going to be the Chipotle of baseball, he better keep Zach Greinke away from him because I believe he had a tweet before about that, and he wasn't happy about the guac prices. So, <laughs> No, he was not. He was pretty pissed <laughs> off about them raising the price, charging for guac now. That was two years ago, I think, actually. Last year, maybe? I don't, I don't know. Remember, I I just remember that. I quote. do remember that now. <laughs> he has the best quotes. Yeah, poor, I will say this about Granky. Poor Granky uh, did well enough on his own in, in different teams. 
you know, getting there side by side with Kershaw. They were talking about Kershaw and Granky being the next uh, Koufax and Drysdale. And I thought, okay, let's just calm down about that. <laughs> but but it's still, they were a good tandem. And, you know, putting them in that lineup with Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander, uh, you, you sat there and thought, okay, the, how are the Astros not going to win the World Series this year? It's just not going to happen. I, I pretty much said they've got it in the bag at the trade deadline, and poor Granky just uh, <laughs> didn't uh, just came up just a little bit short again. He did. Yeah, we uh, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, or the, we talked. This was at the trade deadline. We talked about this, and uh, we were, Logan was telling was was talking about the fact that. The last what was it three contenders three or three winners made a huge deal at the the trade deadline, and as soon as he said that, bam, Zach Greinke to Houston, Houston, which was probably the biggest trade of the. It's definitely was the biggest trade of the year, and well, Logan said it, and then all of a sudden it didn't happen. So I'm gonna I'm gonna blame Logan for the Houston Astros not winning the World. I Super. mean, you got to put Garrett Cole in that game, but. I'm not an MLB manager, so. Well, <laughs> what do I know? Stupidest, stupidest move of the playoffs and stupidest move of the of the baseball year is putting that uh, whatever his name was Harris or whatever that middle reliever was. I have no oh, idea. I have no idea why you would make that decision, and that decision cost you the season. That cost you the ring. Why are you putting that particular pitcher in when you have longevity on the bench ready to go? You know, the the way that the Houston Astros won in 2017 was two name two words: Charlie Morton. You have Charlie mm-hmm. Morton coming in pitching four or five innings. You have somebody that can give you that workhorse the same way the San Francisco Giants did with Madison Bumgarner in Game Seven in 2014. Charlie Morton in 2017. Why is this Harris guy? I probably have his name wrong because I don't know why. No, I, hell. I think you're right. I thought it was Will Harris. Yeah, it was yes. Will Harris. Why is he in this game? Why? Well, we do love Pitching Charlie Morton to... here at Dinger Ball as well. Well, I, 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 Charlie Morton is Johnny on the spot to me. Like you saw what he did for the, for the Rays uh, coming through in that wild card game, but you also saw what he did to help the Houston Astros win two Game Sevens in 2017. Absolutely. Yeah, he's a very he was a very good pitcher and he's going to be a very good pitcher. We 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 hold that that we would never be talking about this Houston Washington World Series if Tampa would have just thrown him in game five. But <laughs> it's a different different issue. <laughs> Once again, we're not managers at all, so I don't know. We we know nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. I think that just about does it for us here. Thank you once again, Kirk, for coming on. Uh, make sure you make sure you check out your his book. It was great read, very insightful about Dale Murphy called uh, Batting Clean. Uh, obviously, we talked a lot about Dale today, but it's he goes even more in depth in the book if you guys want to check it out. It's a great book. Honestly, I highly recommend it. Well, I thank you guys for having the time go by so quickly because I woke up at 5.30 today thinking – I have, and and not realizing until about seven o'clock that I had to wait till five p.m. Pacific time for this vote. So uh, it's been a long day, and we're down to the last twenty-five minutes. So you've you've made these last two hours go by pretty good, pretty quickly. <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> yeah, there's some good well, results after that. Yeah. <laughs> very very glad you came on today. Very good conversation with you. Uh, make sure you guys. Like and subscribe like we always tell you. We're on Apple, Spotify. I think there's like five, a couple more others, but I think those are the two main ones everyone's kind of listening on. Uh, Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Dingerball Podcast and follow me and Logan if you ever want to reach out to us personally. I mean, I'm at jhennessy18 and Logan's at talk talk underscore underscore 44. Double underscore. I said underscore. The double underscore. <laughs> double. It's a double underscore. Yeah. Really? Come on, dude. Hey, the regular uh, underscore was taken. You can also. <laughs> and then uh, also make sure you follow Kirk McKnight on t- 
Twitter as well, at the Voices of MLB. He has some pretty good content out there as well, which was, it's very good to look at as well. So, yeah, and thank you guys for listening, like always. Absolutely. Until next time.